0: Hello and welcome to Paper Trails, Ideas That Lead Somewhere. I'm Dr Carolyn Rickett.
1: And I'm Brenton Stacey.
0: Are you about to go to hospital for treatment? Are you worried that you might get an infection while you're in hospital? Is there anything that you can do to help minimise the risk?
1: The man with some of the answers is Associate Professor Brett Mitchell. He's Director of the Lifestyle Research Centre at Avondale College of Higher Education. He's editor-in-chief of Infection, Disease and Health, the premier infection journal in Australasia, and chair of a national health and medical research council committee, writing new national infection control guidelines. Bretts welcome.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
1: So,
0: Brett, I'm really interested. Is, is there a problem with hospital infections?
2: There is a problem with hospital infections. And um, what we know is if you go to hospital and you walk in the door without an infection, And you stay in hospital there's about an eight percent chance you're going to acquire an infection in hospital that you didn't have when you walked in the door and uh, given the number of admissions we have to hospital each year that's a pretty sizable problem so give us an idea
1: of the size of the problem then so eight percent let's extrapolate that nationally what are we talking
2: well i haven't got the figures of the number of admissions off the top of my head uh, brenton but you know if you're looking at say a a hospital a, a big size tertiary hospital, they'll have about twenty thousand admissions a year. So that might be, say, a six hundred bed hospital, for example. So uh, twenty thousand admissions, you, you know, you're talking eighteen hundred odd infections a year in that in that one hospital. So that's a that's a sizable problem when you think about it, that's just one hospital.
0: So Brett, is it linked to how long you stay in hospital? What's the causal factors at play there?
2: Yeah, of course, not all infections are preventable. And so uh, people, when they go to hospital, are having things done to them that they wouldn't have done in the community. We're sticking needles in people. We're cutting people open. Um, people are sick. You know, their immune system is is, is uh, not as strong as it is for, for the general community or when you're healthy. So all those things play a role and are factors in why people get infections. So not all infections are preventable. Uh, but certain certain uh, infections are, and those are the ones we really want to concentrate on and do something about. What makes an infection preventable? Well, I think it depends on the infection, but what you're really looking to do is say, how do people get these infections? And uh, is there a way of putting something in place to stop them from getting that infection in the first place? So, for example, if a, if someone gets an infection as a result of a particular medical device being inserted, we can say, well, what can we do to improve the insertion and management of that medical device to stop them from getting an infection? So when you're inserting a foreign body, foreign object into someone, for example, there's a risk of infection. So what can you do to reduce that risk? And uh, that's a common example of how people would get bloodstream infections or septicemia, for example. There might be times where um, people have diarrhea or vomiting related bugs or illnesses in hospital. And we know that if we do certain things well, the likelihood of spreading that around the hospital will be reduced. So it really does depend on the infection and how it's transmitted.
1: Are we over-treating people when they go to hospital then? Like, we've got access to all these devices that can do good things, and someone comes in the hospital and says, wow, we've we've got to do something. Is that a part of the reason why infections are so prevalent in hospitals? Well, I guess
2: you, you could argue that um, there would be an equal argument that these types of advances in medical technology have really improved health and health outcomes. You know, if we went back 40 years ago, we wouldn't be doing the types of things we're doing to patients now um, to benefit them in the long term. So everything we do comes at a slight risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to balance those risks against the long term benefit and gain for, for patients so I wouldn't be one that would suggest we should stop doing what we're doing because of infections what we need to do is find a better way to do them and also just make sure we're doing the core things we're meant to do regularly uh, as, as healthcare professionals uh, and because a lot of those times the principles are the same regardless of what procedure or uh, uh, whatever's happened to a particular patient
0: so, thinking of that in real terms, Brett, uh, on the hospital ward, you're talking about the role of healthcare professionals. What's something strategic they can do to minimise infection for patients?
2: At a, at a healthcare worker level, uh, the most obvious thing and the thing we hear a lot about is hand hygiene. And doing that at the appropriate time is one way healthcare workers can reduce the risk of infection. To patients. So, performing hand hygiene correctly before you insert a device, for example, um, before you uh, empty a catheter or have something to do with a a catheter in a patient. So, these are types of things that healthcare workers can do on a very regular basis. Um, But it's not just about the healthcare worker, it's about the system that puts in place these things. So the hospital, the management, the processes also need to align with that. So for an example, of in the example of hand hygiene, having alcohol-based hand rub at the point of care where healthcare workers need to use it is one way to help them improve their compliance rather than having to traipse down the ward to perform hand hygiene, for example. The other things that hospitals can do, of course, are, are things like uh, environmental cleaning, and that's becoming a really important um a really important topic. So when patients have got infection or infectious diseases, um, reducing the spread of those infections to other patients through environmental contamination is a key importance. So that's making sure hospitals are clean, that they're cleaned well uh, and cleaned appropriately to minimise the risk of infection to, to the next person or the patient next to them.
0: Have you seen, I guess, a reduction in those services to meet sort of budget balancing or is that often the first thing to go on the, the budget line? Um.
2: Uh, look, I absolutely would be my answer to that. You know, the easiest, one of the easiest things a hospital can try to do to save money is is cut costs around cleaning. And I don't want to be critical of hospitals when, they, when they've got budgetary constraints, they have to, to meet those. But what we do see is that hospital cleaners, in my view, are devalued or undervalued they perform a critical role in the hospital healthcare environment Uh, and yet they're the ones that probably have least amount of access to training they come from a diverse background Um, their job i think is often undervalued and appreciated within the healthcare sector Um, but their job is absolutely critical and we see hospitals outsource cleaning and, and just because it's our source doesn't mean it's a bad thing either. But it goes to the point of always looking to reduce costs wherever, pos- wherever possible. Um, and really, what we need to be doing is focusing on these key core elements around hand hygiene, environmental cleaning, to reduce infections.
1: So let's let's let me just back up here a moment. We've spent years researching infection prevention. And control. We spent a lot of money. And you're telling me that the, the basic principles are wash your hands and
2: clean the floors of the hospital. Wash your hands, clean your floors. There are two fundamental things. On top of other key things about making sure you identify people with certain infections or infectious diseases and manage those patients appropriately. Put them into isolation, for example, if they need to be used, the correct personal protective equipment to stop the spread of infection to others. Those kinds of things are really important. But the fundamentals, we're going to go back to fundamentals. You know, we're in an age of... Of antimicrobial resistance where bacteria are becoming more resistant, more and more resistant to drugs and antimicrobials, antibiotics, if you like. So we, when there aren't new antibiotics coming in the pipeline, we're seeing more people get these multi-drug resistant infections. We have to go back to the basics to stop the spread of infection. If we do that, then we can reduce the spread further and in the absence of having new antibiotics and new technologies to to uh, to treat patients with multi-drug resistant infections we are going to rely on these basics and that's why fundamental health services research research in cleaning in hand hygiene in how we go about doing procedures and the best way to do those procedures in hospitals are fundamental to preventing infections and that's where i'm particularly interested
0: so Brett, um, we've, we've had a picture of uh, systems and healthcare workers. So if I'm a patient in hospital, uh, I'm sort of in the system, but I am interested in my own agency, my own autonomy. Is there anything I can do um, to reduce infections while I'm in hospital? Or am I just part of that system without really a voice or...? What yeah. can I do in that
2: space? There, there are lots of things that patients can do, and patients have got a really important role in infection prevention. And we've seen some good examples of that in other countries, and in the UK, for example, and some of the initiatives in in uh, Americas as well, where we encourage patients to be part of their care. And so, what we what simple things people could do, for example, would be making sure that patients do ask. If they can't wash their hands, they wash their hands, uh, ask their hands to be washed before they have meals, before they have dinner and breakfast. If they, if they can do that themselves, then we should be encouraging patients to do that because ingestion of bacteria and bugs is, is one way in which you can get certain infections. That's, that's something very simple that patients can do. Making sure that they wash their hands after going to the toilet is a very simple way of preventing infection, particularly when hospital and toilets are often shared by multiple patients. Um, asking their visitors not to come and visit if they are sick and we see a lot of things brought into hospital particularly diarrhoea and vomiting related um, bugs um, colds and flu where people coming in into hospital with these types of illnesses visiting people they care about but at the same time introducing bugs into a very closed environment um, to patients who are vulnerable who have got a reduced immune system so having that is a really important role as well Patients should also not be afraid to ask um, their doctor or healthcare worker about infection risk. You know, if I was going for surgery or my mum and dad was going for surgery, I'd be asking the question of the surgeon, what are your infection rates? What do you do to minimise infection? And uh, asking those questions can be reassuring for a patient. They might say, look, this is what you could do in the lead up to surgery. You might want to shower a certain way or uh, there might be things that you could put in place as a patient as well so asking those as a questions is really important and you also get a sense for how much your particular surgeon or healthcare worker is interested in infection prevention and by asking that question you will assist and facilitate that healthcare worker thinking about infection as well. Indirectly. I reckon.
1: I reckon he'd be a real pain on the hospital <laughs> board.
2: Have you ever? Have you actually been to hospital with, yeah.
1: you know, yeah. a member of your family or you know anybody else, uh, and and been in that role? Here you are. You 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 understand the importance of infection prevention, and then there you are placed in the situation.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Quite a few times, and it's funny when I talk to all my colleagues who. Um, who work in this space as well, and when I sit on national committees and you hear professors talking about um, you know what we need to do about infections and infectious disease, and we all say ask ourselves the same question: when our loved one goes to hospital, what do we do? And we kind of almost revert back to this patient role, where you you don't feel empowered, even with the knowledge that you've got, um, to to question healthcare workers and to ask the questions you really perhaps would want to ask. Um, so I mean I, I try but I don't think I would, I'd be a difficult uh, relative in, in hospital because I probably do revert back to that um, here's my son he's in hospital and um, I just want a, the best for him and he's sort of hanging off everything that someone would say to you even with a, a medical background so but I do think um, regardless of that we can do small things and, and the more we do the small things and ask the small questions um, the better we can all play the better role we can all play in, in preventing infections
1: Let's go from the small to the large. I imagine cutting-edge medical treatment for, say, cancer earns a lot of research dollars. Does infection prevention and control have the same appeal when it comes to supporting research?
2: Probably in the last two years to three years, we've seen a lot more research going into infection prevention control in Australia. Um, there's been some great work done by cancer, uh, colleagues in QUT. Um, uh, there's a group called ANCAS, a National uh, Centre for Antimicrobial Stewardship in Melbourne, who've just got some great funding from the NHMRC as well. Uh, and they've pulled just together just some teams. for our listeners,
0: the acronym.
2: Yes, yeah, National Health and Medical Research Council. So they're one of the main funding bodies of, of medical and health research in Australia. They're the ones that we apply for to get funding and put ideas up. And so there has been some some good grants But in the context of other types of illnesses, diseases, I would say we're far, far behind. Uh, But that game is changing. And I I would certainly say that this is an area we, we do need investment in now. We are seeing antimicrobial resistance become a problem right across the world. And what we're seeing is investment in countries in Europe and America in research in in the space of antimicrobial resistance and infection control, we need to follow that suit here in Australia.
0: I'm just really interested in the work that you've done in in a practice based um, model. Can can you speak about how your research has actually transformed some practices? I know you've written on that. I know you've had grants for that. But what does it look like on the ground?
2: Yeah. So we're probably involved in in a few different things and. Um, in a previous position, not in the research capacity, but more in a policy sense, I guess, we, uh, was involved in in hand hygiene initiative across the country. And what we saw as part of that initiative was a standardisation of education about when we are supposed to do hand hygiene for healthcare workers. A standardisation across the country, all hospitals, public and private, all jurisdictions. That was a huge achievement. I think the people that were involved in that, Professor Lindsay Grayson in in um, Victoria and, and, and Phil Russo who led that as a project manager, are to be commended for that program. It was probably one of the only times I can think of where we saw a truly national safety and quality initiative being rolled out in all hospitals, public and private, across the country for the benefit of patients. And what that has meant is hand hygiene has improved, hand hygiene compliance has improved, considerably over recent years. In turn, that means a reduction in risk of infection for patients. So I think um, that's a really great practical example of, of um, a big program being implemented in small institutions and large institutions across the country.
0: Brett, I'm really interested in one of your other key research areas, which is the use or even the overuse of catheters. I heard you speak on this issue at a symposium run earlier in the year at Sydney Adventist Hospital can you just unpack that a little bit more for
2: us? Yeah, absolutely. We've done a, a lot of work in this space. So, when patients go to hospital, they can acquire any number of infections. Uh, one common infection, if you like, that people acquire in hospital is a urinary tract infection. And often these infections are associated with catheter use and uh, catheters are devices that are inserted into the bladder to drain urine, and, and people would probably be quite familiar with catheters or seen loved ones with catheters. So we were interested, because of a lot of work being done overseas, um, we were interested in what kind of impact uh, these might be having in Australia. Certainly data from overseas suggested that they're overused and that this, they result in infections. And uh, so what we did is we did some pilot work and then a a study in in six hospitals where we looked at the prevalence or the use of catheters and also how common these infections were, urinary tract infections were happening in Australia. And on the catheter use, we found that 26% of patients who went to hospital received a catheter. So, twenty-six percent of all patients admitted to hospital received a catheter. Now, that's a huge number of catheters across across the uh, across the country. We wanted to explore that further, and uh, what we did was roll out another study, and we we did that in eighty-four institutions across uh, healthcare institutions across the country. And what we found on any given day in hospital, about nine percent of patients have a catheter in. So these catheters are really confirmed our initial findings, these catheters are being used frequently. And we also found that people who have a urinary tract infection, that about one, on any given day, about one to 1.4% of patients had a urinary tract infection acquired in hospital. So we found that these infections are common, commonly occurring in Australia. So the reason that catheter use is is quite important is because a lot of these urinary tract infections are associated with catheter use. And if we can reduce catheter use, we can reduce this infection. And what we do know is that catheters are put in not always for the best reason. So they're put in for potentially convenience and uh, where a patient doesn't really need them. And, uh, and that's been shown right across the world, not just, not just here in Australia. So what we do is if we can reduce the number of catheters going in, we can reduce the number of infections. It's a pretty simple equation. It doesn't require much effort. It's nothing new in terms of major technological advance. It's just reducing catheter use. Uh, and we could, just by doing that, we can have a big impact on the frequency of this infection.
1: Brett, no one grows up and says, I want to solve the world's infections problems. <laughs> Where did your interest in infection prevention and control begin? Why are you doing what you're doing now?
2: Well, that's a great question, Brendan. And, you know, it was only recently I was reflecting on this, and it, it only occurred to me when I was in a grade, I think it was about grade 10, I did a work experience placement. You know, where, what, what am I going to be interested in doing? And I went to Ipswich uh, General Hospital up in Queensland, and uh, I did a placement in a microbiology lab for about a week just and as I guess as a as a 15 16 year old at the time just sitting in a lab looking at plates and looking at what these guys did watching them grow bugs and all kinds of interesting things and and um, that must have got my interest at that point um, for various reasons um, I didn't pursue a microbiology um Career, I decided to go into nursing and I, w- I was interested in getting into the research space. That was sort of my idea is getting to get into research through through nursing. Uh, and I did my nursing degree and actually I thoroughly enjoyed the clinical side of nursing and completely forgot about research and went off and did clinical nursing. And um, a couple of years later, I was working in the UK and ended up working in an infectious diseases ward, which I, which I ended up uh, running and managing. And um, and I saw, we'd see all kinds of interesting and weird infectious diseases in that particular in that particular unit. And it really ignited my passion again, I think, for this particular area. And uh, it was, from there I moved then into how do we prevent these people getting infections? And I moved into that hospital space of how do we prevent them at a hospital level? Um, and then moved uh, into Tasman- a role in Tasmania where I uh, was interested this at a statewide level. How do we prevent these infections at a statewide level? And, uh, and work with hospitals. Uh, and then we sort of went full circle that actually I want to do more research. And that's where I did my PhD uh, whilst in working in, in Tasmania uh, into this space of surveying and looking at infections. So it's kind of went full circle. And it wasn't until that point that it made me think, actually, it was probably 15 years ago when I did this placement in Ipswich General Hospital when well, I actually had this must have had this passion at that point in time but it wasn't really until years later that I got back into it again Um I can't tell you why the re- while the real reason is I guess infectious diseases to me are, are, are interesting we've had them for, new, for years and years and years these bugs evolve. they've been around for a lot longer than humans they're very successful at adaptation we're constantly fighting them in terms of what we can do to treat them and prevent them it's not going to go away they're always going to be an issue for us um, they're, they're interesting, There are are, um, and I guess um, for those reasons it really sort of captured my uh, imagination again. And people are affected by infections in all kinds of spectrums in life from very young infants right through to, to elderly um, individuals in hospital settings, in community settings, in developing countries, their challenges that everyone faces. So for me, it was an interest right across the board in in and something we could do to really they're preventable quite often. So we, there's things we can do to to prevent people and make people's lives better by doing simple things often. And um, that's probably why it got uh, got me interested.
0: So Brett, what are your current passion projects?
2: So my current projects are, in, are centered around environmental cleaning, particularly interested in that um, urinary tract infections uh, as we as we talked about earlier uh, and looking at uh, how do we make sure that we've got healthcare workers who are in charge or running infection control programs in hospitals and other healthcare s- settings how do we support them how do we put infrastructure and health services in place to prevent infections occurring in those settings so they're the kind of areas that a particular Interest to me. I'm also interested in certain infectious diseases or infections as well. Things like Clostridium difficile infection, for example, is um, a particular uh, infection that I like. So, um, not like to get, but uh, <laughs> a bit like. So, um, uh, yeah, they're, they're my particular passions at the moment.
0: So, just going back to urinary tract infections and catheters. We, we spoke earlier about that, but I it, it's just sort of ringing really true to me now that if we were in hospital and that might almost be a default setting of, of treatment in certain cases that may not be needed, how does one actually intervene and say, I don't want a catheter? Like how, how does that actually work in a hospital if you are already sort of knowledgeable that perhaps there might be a high risk of mm. a catheter?
2: I think it's very, very much, very difficult for a patient. In fact, probably near impossible from a patient perspective. Um, I mean, you could ask the question: Do I really need this catheter? I don't think many people, patients, would put their hand up for a catheter. So, so I think the issue really goes back to making sure there are good processes in place for healthcare workers to question: Do we? Does this person need a catheter? And what's the evidence for the patients who really do need catheters? And that's um, the work that. People, particularly Sanjay, a person called Sanjay Saint in in the US, has been involved with and really led this charge. at a At a local, at a more local level, I guess in New, South, in New South Wales, the Clinical Excellence Commission have identified this issue of catheter-associated urinary tract infections as being an issue, and they've put together a whole program of work to help healthcare workers um, make sure they make the right decisions uh, around catheter insertion. Um, who needs a catheter and the way it's inserted and then removing catheters soon after. So there are both technological things we can do but also more human approach around education um, and triggers um, that people might use. So very basically, there are certain criteria that we we would say only these patients should ever have a catheter in but educating that in a way that um, the healthcare workers can understand and use. Um, making sure healthcare workers know how to insert a catheter appropriately, and that we're using the latest evidence to minimize the risk of infection because the bladder is sterile and we're introducing something into the bladder. We need to make sure that process doesn't introduce bacteria into the bladder. That's how a lot of infections can occur in the first place. So making sure we have good evidence and good research to make, to make sure those procedures are done well, and then getting a catheter out as quickly as possible Um, when patients don't need them and we can use technological advances to do that and um, one of the things that um, New South Wales Health is trying to do is have alert systems for clinicians so when a catheter goes in we identify how long does it need to stay in for Uh, and then when it comes close to that date the reminders are sent or triggered to clinicians to say this person's got a catheter that needs to be in and this is all based on research that uh, that. Um, Others have been involved with internationally in the kind of research that I'm interested in in terms of this health services research because unless you've got the evidence to say it's a problem you can't then put an intervention in place and some of the research suggests that healthcare workers don't know whether the person they're caring for has got a catheter. If you were to ask a nurse or a doctor has Mrs. Bloggs in room 10 got a catheter they probably won't be able to tell you and so without going and thinking about it and observing that patient and that needs to change that needs to be in the forefront of our mind because yes they had a catheter and it's going to come out tomorrow um, that's the kind of thing that we need to, to put in play to change um, healthcare workers I'm certainly not being critical um, a lot on their plate but we need to make sure we can work out what are the priority things that need to be at the forefront of their mind Brett
1: you're going to spend the best part of your working life preventing and controlling infections you get to the end of your working life and you look back what do you hope you achieve
2: Probably exactly that, Brendan, that, that I have contributed in some way to a prevention patients pre- getting, preventing patients from getting infection in some way. And uh, that's going to be very difficult to measure. Uh, I hope that at some point in my career I'll come up with some unique way to be able to prevent infections. I suspect that is unlikely um, because really as we talked about at the beginning, this a lot of infection prevention goes down to the basics. But if, but I think everyone could play a, a part in, in, uh, in preventing infections and I hope that I can play my part by providing evidence around what are the problems and how can we address some of those problems and what is the best way we can reduce infections in, in certain circumstances.
0: Right, you've got a large body of work. It's, it's very impressive and I'm wondering if listeners uh, are sitting here thinking i would love to read at least one or two of Brett's papers, where would you direct them to work so far? Which one or two papers do you hope that we all go and read?
2: Well, I guess um, the first place people could look at these these articles and get access to them is on the Avondale College website as a, uh, a particular platform called research, uh, Avondale Online or Research Online. And you could look up individual academics' publications uh, and they could do that for any person at Avondale College and they could look up my name and look at the publications that I've done and click on them and, and read them so that they're not behind any subscription barrier um, meaning that they could access them freely I guess um, in more recent times there's two pieces of work that um, that have been of particular interest to me one is we did a, a review of all the existing literature uh, and what we wanted to know is if you are a patient, and you go to hospital and you're admitted to a room, is there an increased risk of you getting an infection just because the person in that room before you had that, an infection? So say you went to a, to, a, to a room and the previous person had MRSA, a, a multi-drug resistant bacteria. Just because you're admitted to that room, does that mean that you're more likely to get that particular bug? And so what we want to do is review all the evidence around that. And the short answer is yes, absolutely. And there's a problem. And what it demonstrates is we have a problem with hospital cleaning in this country and in countries right across the world. This is literature we reviewed from right across the world, not just Australia. That means we need to put in things in place to improve hospital cleanliness That justifies the stance for people to go and get research grants to put in and try new ways to improve hospital cleanliness. And that's exactly what's happening across the country at the moment. So those types of research can be often very technical to read um, for the the average uh, person, I guess. But those, I think, are really fundamental to saying this is why we need research in this space. The other piece of research was was one that we did. I did around urinary tract infections, and that came out just earlier this year as well. And what we're interested in was how frequently are people acquiring these infections? I mentioned earlier that we know on any given day how many people have a urinary tract infection in hospital, but if you were admitted to a hospital, what's the likelihood of you getting a urine infection while you're there? We did a study in, in several hospitals over a four-year period and we found 1.7 percent chance if you go to hospital and you stay in hospital more than two days you will get a urinary tract infection what we're really interested as well is did that affect people's length of stay did it mean they had to stay in hospital longer and the short answer to that again is yes and that's the first time that's been shown anywhere in the world so what we mean by that is if you were to get a urinary tract infection in hospital it's associated with a longer time in hospital, a longer length of stay in hospital compared to people who didn't get that infection. Now, given that about 90-odd thousand patients a year in Australia will get a urinary tract infection in hospital, having an extra length of stay associated with that means it's a huge burden on our health service, a huge burden. In fact, we estimated around 360,000 hospital bed days are consumed each year in Australia because of healthcare-associated urinary tract infections, infections people acquired in hospital. So if we can do something to reduce that risk, even a small amount, if we were to reduce that by 10%, that's 36,000 extra hospital bed days each year in Australia that could be used for something else. It means that more treatment for chemotherapy patients, less waiting times for elective surgery. So this is why preventing infections is not just important from a personal perspective of I don't want to get an infection and have a bad consequence, but it's, from a health services perspective, it means we're making sure our health services more efficient, more effective to do other things for the benefit of the community.
1: Brett Mitchell, thanks for joining us on Paper Trails. Thanks
2: very much, Brendan. Thanks, Carolyn.
0: Associate Professor Brett Mitchell, Director of the Lifestyle Research Centre, Avondale College of Higher Education. You're listening to Paper Trails. I'm Dr Carolyn
1: Rickett. And I'm Brenton Stacey. You can find more of Brett's research at www.avondale.edu.au slash researchonline.